Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of Working is sponsored by Stamps.com, where you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. For a no-risk trial and a special $110 bonus offer, go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone, and enter the promo code WORKING. And by Citrix GoToMeeting. When meetings matter, millions choose GoToMeeting. Hold a meeting with anyone from the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Get a free 30-day trial by visiting GoToMeeting.com and clicking the Try It Free button. If you love the working podcast, listen longer with Slate+. Plus. Members get bonus segments and interview transcripts from the show. Learn more and start your two-week free trial at slate.com slash working plus. Hello and welcome to Working, Slate's podcast about what people do all day. On today's show, I talk to a woman who has to plan for days that are completely unpredictable. Tell me your name and what do you do all day? My name is Karen Jefferson and I'm a midwife in New York State. So... I start my day usually by getting in a car and driving all over the five boroughs to see pregnant women in their homes for prenatal care. And I should just say, you you mentioned right away when I came in that your phone is by your side, you can't turn it off, and there's a chance in the next hour that we won't be able to finish this interview because you're going to have to run off. Right, because I have somebody due uh, a few days ago. She lives quite a ways away, so she's uh, been instructed to call early, you know, call when she really thinks it's happening so that uh, we could get there and take care of her. Got you. So can we roughly divide your days into delivery days and non-delivery days? Uh, The delivery thing is hard to predict. I have a small private practice uh, with a partner. My partner's name is Martine Jean-Baptiste, and we've been practicing midwifery together in business for 13 years. 
And it's a small practice because we attend women's births in their homes. So we can't have too many women because we're spread too thinly across the city. So we have women in all boroughs. We usually take four to six families a month. And the births are funny. I mean, one week you can have no births. And the next week you can have three in two days. It's very unpredictable. Let's just start with the non-birth days. What, like you told me today, you were driving around uh, Brooklyn and, and other places visiting women in their homes. What, what are those, those prenatal test days like? Uh, there are more visits than tests. Today, I first stopped in Williamsburg, and I saw this lovely couple who are getting, they're about 37 weeks pregnant, so it would be fine. She's term, what's called term. It would be fine for her to go into labor today and have her baby it probably won't happen today. We sat in her living room um, and we talked about issues relating to her labor, how she was feeling physically, how well the baby was moving, what she could expect to feel, um, lots of dif different issues around her upcoming labor and birth. And then after a while, I took her blood pressure and uh, she reclined on her sofa and I sat next to her and I felt her baby. I felt her belly all over externally and found out where the baby's behind was and where the baby's back is and where the baby's head was and where the baby's feet are to just get some idea of where that baby's positioned in, in utero. If I remember correctly, around 37 weeks, you're beginning to worry about breech birth where, where the baby's positioned to come out through butt first, which is a, a high-risk pregnancy. So yeah, 37 weeks, we really better know if it's the head coming first, because you're absolutely right. Breach is a, a high-risk birth. Breach is, in this metropolitan area, your options for a breach birth are limited mostly to cesarean section. There is one physician in one hospital who might do a vaginal breach, but definitely, definitely not for planned home birth. And, uh, and these are women who... Will they not be getting ultrasounds? They won't be going to doctors at all during this period? Well, in New York State, midwives are licensed independent providers. Entry to practice is a master's degree. And we have a very wide scope of practice. We take care of girls from the time they get their period to women after menopause for well woman and problem care and family planning, as well as focusing on maternity care. And we prescribe medication, and we have hospital privileges. And being a home birth midwife, I'm very much in the minority. Of about 950 practicing midwives in New York State, maybe there are about 70 of us who are attending women at home. The rest are in hospitals spread all over the state, certainly all over New York City. The hospitals are filled with practicing midwives. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that, that midwives... So there are many midwives where it's not a pregnancy practice. They're... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are midwives who work for Planned Parenthood who do uh, family planning and, and treat sexually transmitted infection and, you know, work with women who are not pregnant. Yeah, in other countries, the midwifery scope is limited to maternity care, but we're very lucky here in the U.S. and in, in New York State that uh, we can do, do quite a bit. And it's our job to identify when uh, a problem needs a higher level of care. 
tell me about the pregnancy days. So, so let's say that phone call was this woman. She's in contractions. I've been through this myself. You, you don't, uh, especially if you're a first time parent, you, you, you don't really know those contractions might last 20, a day and a half. They might last an hour. So how, how, what, how do you evaluate when it's time to leave the house? And then what, what is that like? Okay. So it's a, it's a bit tricky. I mean, it, we, we triage by phone and that can be really tricky because sometimes it's hard for a woman to adequately assess for herself how strong the contractions are or uh, what's happening in labor. So we ask a lot of questions. Um, How long have you been feeling these things? What do they feel like? How long do they last? How are they spaced? Do they change when you stand up or sit down? Um, Is it possible you've broken your water? Uh, How's the baby moving? I mean, there are a bunch of questions we run through. And very often, even in moms who have had babies before, will say, see see what happens in the next 30 minutes or hour and call us back and give us an update unless something changes that you need to call sooner, like your contractions are longer, stronger, closer together, your water breaks, you feel a lot of pressure um, and people will often call us back. It's very rare to run on the first call. It has happened. Uh, The shortest labor I have ever attended. Thankfully, I was on call that day, not Martine, who lives in Manhattan. Uh, The woman woke up in the morning. uh, I don't know how appropriate this is for radio, but saw a little blood when she went to the bathroom, wasn't feeling a thing. She called me up. She said, something's happening. I ran over to her house in downtown Brooklyn, and she gave birth to a 10-pound baby in 45 minutes. It, It was so fast. So it's a bit difficult to judge. And that's not just for home birth midwives. That's for any pregnant woman who's going into labor because you hear a lot of stories, baby born in the cab, baby born on the bridge, baby, you know, baby born in the vestibule, because it's really hard to judge uh, how quickly it's happening. So, okay. So walk me through the birth. So you, 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 you've now decided, okay, it's time I'm leaving the house. Um, this can happen, I'm assuming, at any time, day or night. Um, and, and you don't actually know, right, if you're going to be home in two hours or 20 hours. Yeah. And so the first thing that happens to me or that I do uh, when I know that I'm, I got to leave now for a birth, uh, if I'm not running out the door, I mean, I get dressed in my birth clothes and I always bring a, a, an extra pair of clothes in case I get messy or have a second birth to go to after that. And then I have to gather some things that are inside of the house. Wait, wh- what are your birth clothes? <laughs> uh, Uniqlo lounge pants and a t-shirt. It's nothing uh, fancy. Every once in a while, I'll wear hospital scrub type pants because they wash out well. But usually, usually I like these stretchy Uniqlo things that are very, very comfortable, um, especially if I'm going out of the house. Well, even in the daytime, a lot of the work involves uh, watchful waiting. And I really like to be comfortable. So I kind of go to work in pajamas. So I put my work pajamas on and then I have stuff to gather in the house. I gather, I have to throw my computer in the bag. I throw an extra Doppler, a little machine that uh, we use to monitor the baby in prenatal visits and uh, during labor. 
And sometimes I'll throw a snack in. Sometimes I have time to make a cup of coffee. Often I do not. I keep my birth supplies in the car. So I don't have to drag them all to the car. So I just need to go to my car and start it and go. Uh, Before I leave the house, I call my birth assistant because she needs to get up, get out of bed, throw her clothes on if, if it's the middle of the night and meet me at the client's house. For some reason, I immediately think because of where you and I both live, parking, that must be a hassle in this area when, when you're uh, desperate to just get to a place. I have to say it is one of the cruel injustices of the world that the New York state government will not, nor will New York City issue us midwife license plates. So we have no official way to not be towed. There are some births where I have had to dump the car and run. And I have been towed. And there's nothing worse than coming out from a birth, not necessarily clean, dragging a backpack, a shoulder bag, you know, the equipment we bring, there's a lot of equipment and not finding the car there. It's, it's awful. Uh, so, and what do you bring? I mean, I, I've, I've never been to a home birth, so I, I, my wife gave birth in a, in a hospital, so there's all the stuff there. What, what, how much are you setting up when you get there? Okay, well, we bring a lot more equipment than we pull out of the bags. Our usual setup involves sterile gloves, non-sterile gloves, gauze, little lubrication packets, olive oil, sterile um, equipment to uh, use when we cut the cord or if the mother needs a repair after birth. So the setup is, is pretty minimal. We have whole other instruments and suture and local anesthesia for um, numbing someone should she need stitches. And uh, and typically does the, the family having the baby, they, they put out a sheet or something uh, and, and it, it's just happening in, in their regular space otherwise. It happens in their space. The, the funny thing is we've had toilet births, shower births, couch births, floor births, water births, bed births, standing births. I mean, it can happen absolutely anywhere. And we give the family a list of supplies that they have to get. And uh, we ask them to get a couple of shower curtain liners, one to protect the bed and another to follow them around with. Uh, We are housekeeping, so it doesn't really get very messy and we clean it all up. The Working Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Computers are designed to make running a business easier, including your mailing and shipping. So use Stamps.com to get 24-hour access to the post office right from your computer. With Stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package. Then just hand it to your mail carrier. Never go to the post office again. Right now, you can get this special offer from Stamps.com, a no-risk trial, and a $110 bonus offer, which includes up to $55 in free postage. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter working. That's Stamps.com, enter working. So, um, okay, so you get into the house. What, walk me through the next steps. What, what happens when you first get there? Um, well, first we assess, we put our stuff down, take a look at the, the scene, and then we'll take out the Doppler. And is this another moment where before you walk through the door, you just catch yourself for oh, a second? Absolutely, because sometimes if, if, if we think the labor's going quickly and or there's traffic, it can, you can get a little anxious in the car. So, yes, it's, it's take a breath put the things down, and then listen to the baby. Because that's one of the first things we, we want to make sure. How's the baby doing right now? 
no matter where the mom is in labor. And then we'll do uh, vital signs, blood pressure, temperature, pulse, just to make sure everybody's in, in really good shape. And then it's a matter of uh, supporting the family however they want to be supported um, because every family's different. So once we've uh, realized that everybody's healthy and fine, baby sounds good, everything's fine, we really just are watchful. So it's a matter of um, trying to figure out where the mom is in labor and whether it really was the best time to move in with the stuff. Uh, Because some women feel like a watched pot. And if we end up coming to their house too soon, they feel like they're on a stage and that they've got to produce. So sometimes you show up and and there's another 17 hours to go. And sometimes you show up and it's, well, you said there was the one where it basically happened immediately. Yeah, it's, it really varies. Some, sometimes it'll, the mom will think she's further along than she is. Like the moms who go into the hospital and get sent home. No, you're one centimeter. No, you know, come back later, come back tomorrow. Well, that, that also can happen at a home birth. And we do very, very few vaginal exams. But if it becomes apparent to us that um, the mom really feels like she might be further along, and we're pretty sure she's really early on, we might check her. And depending on what we find and her comfort level, go home for a while and then come back later. So we don't have to send her home. She is home. But we'll go home and we'll come back later. And I think think I'm right that Every family who's had that happen to them, we had that happen to us, feels like, oh, God, they must be so annoyed at us. Are you annoyed? I actually, I'm, I'm not annoyed at all because it's – if you get annoyed with that, you can't do this job. You just can't do this job. There's a lot – you have to have tremendous patience to do the job because in the times when the mom is early but the family really wants you to stay, you really could be in for quite a while at their, at their home. A lot of midwives knit, but Martine and I don't knit. We don't knit. So what do you do? I mean, so you wouldn't just like pull out a book and read a book or watch a movie on your computer? No, um, no. You're just present in the room. You're not necessarily talking to the family, but I just kind of sit there, pay attention. Yeah. If it, I mean, it seems almost like a Zen practice. I guess it is, although I'm not that kind of gal. But, but yeah, I guess I guess it is. You you just need to be present and observant. And I think one of the benefits uh, for people who choose to work with a midwife is that you you often get this continuous care with your care provider present with you throughout the labor, just you know aware of, aware of the scene. Because of course, most people choose hospital birth. of the women giving birth in New York State give birth in a hospital. It's not the norm to have home birth. But I hear of a lot of doula strategies and childbirth educator strategies and mommy strategies. Oh, stay home as long as you can. If you want to avoid all the hospital baloney, come in as late as you can. And then women will show up to the hospital six, seven, eight centimeters. But nobody's been monitoring that baby. How has that baby been doing through the labor. So one of the benefits of, of home birth is this continuous care and, and monitoring, which usually happens. So what would be an average amount of time between the getting there, assessing the situation, and then getting to work? It varies so much. And it can be several days when you have a very challenging long labor. 
And not all of our births end up successful at home. We, about 10% of the people who attempt a home birth in our practice, end up needing to move location to a hospital birth because it would no longer appropriate for home. The baby wasn't coming out or the baby didn't tolerate labor or um, the mother was exhausted. Or there, there are a bunch of reasons you could risk out of home birth. So those births, you could have been with somebody a day and a half and then end up in the hospital with them and spend another day and a half. It, it can be quite a long commitment uh, to attend someone's labor. Wow. And um, those must be tough moments when you make the call, okay, this isn't going to happen at home. It's really tough for the family. Although most families understand the situation, I, I don't have a poker face. So if I'm concerned about anything, we're talking about it as it's developing. And so it's not a shock to them. Then I say, when I say, you know, we're done here, we really need to go in, let's get, let's get up and, and go. And uh, my assistant will help them gather the things while I'll call ahead to the hospital that we're going to and, and give them a report that we're coming in. And was that set up ahead of time? Or do you always have a hospital on standby, sort of? Um, it, depending on what the situation is and the uh, neighborhood the woman lives in, we identify the best places to transport to. So it's not a two-way relationship in that the hospital knows that we're in the community planning a home birth, um, but they are obligated to receive us and um, provide care for any laboring woman that comes in. So so we do have preferred hospitals uh, identified all over the city that we've had great experiences in. And most of these hospitals are staffed with midwives 24-7. So that even though the mom has developed a complication that risked her out of home, unless she immediately needs a cesarean, she can still receive midwifery care inside those hospitals with a physician available should we need her or him for a, a surgical birth. Or and you can stay with the mom oh, too? Yeah. And up until a few months ago, Martine and I had uh, admitting privileges in a hospital. So uh, we were able to be the midwife that took the family into the hospital, admitted them, and continued their care in the hospital. Right now, we don't have that because we haven't found a hospital in New York City that um, has wanted to have a home birth midwife on staff like that or as a as a voluntary attending like that. So, um, all right, let's get to, you know, the the big event. The, the It's now this this baby's coming. So uh, but even that can still be ours. Uh, so so what what happens then when you're not just watchfully waiting, but you're you're in? Um, a lot of moms will need absolutely no direction pushing. They'll feel it. They'll start pushing. We'll start, uh, checking the baby more frequently, uh, because the situation changes as the baby goes down the birth canal and comes out, there can be some head compression or cord compression. We just want to make sure that if that's happening, baby recovers fine. And, uh, we make sure everything's set up. We have towels. We have always, um, a hard surface with a heating pad on it in case we need to resuscitate a baby and, and we have everything we need ready. And often the mom will just 
push and we'll start to see a little bit of head and uh, you, you, you attended a birth, right? You know, and, and, and then little by little, the baby starts coming and then the midwife has the gloves on and uh, supports the mom so she stays intact, hopefully, and the baby comes out. And once the baby bursts itself, um, we always, uh, well, not 100% of the time, if the baby needs uh, assistance with transition or needs a resuscitation, we'll do that immediately. But mostly we can hand the baby over to the mom and we dry the baby. And, and at that point, the family is usually just so excited because they have their baby on them and the baby's crying and we get to take a breath. They're like, oh, yay, you know, great, great. They've given birth. The kid's okay. Mommy's okay. And at that point, our job is to assess them, make sure the baby really has made a good transition and is breathing well and is pinking up and, and everything is good and that the mom's okay. We're watching for bleeding from the mom because the birth isn't really over until the mom gives birth to the placenta and her uterus clamps down. So we're, we're, again, more watchful waiting. And letting them have this moment where you're not the center of that moment. Well, we're never the center. We try never to be the center of the moment. And, uh, and actually, in, in some of my appointments today, I was really encouraging the moms that when they go in, into labor and they're pushing their baby out, that they should put their own hands on the baby's head to help guide the baby out because they feel what's going on better than I can guide the baby. So we're, we hope never to be the center of attention. But yeah, we stand back. They're all excited about the baby. If the baby has made a great transition, it really is just us hanging back, uh, either waiting for signs that the placenta's uh, ready to be born, um, uh, you know, or, and making sure mommy's not bleeding too much. You know, you know for me, I've seen one birth, which is the birth of my son. And, and it, you know, of course, was the most important moment of my life and and it's hard to think of without my eyes tearing up but you've seen hundreds and hundreds of births is, where are they on the scale of sort of routine day at the office to greatest miracle in human history some births cause me to be more uh emotional and joyful than others i never know which ones and i never know why the one constant is that after every single birth even the easiest, smoothest, no problems, everything perfect births, um, I'm depleted. And so that I, I know it's really affected, affected me. So it, it, there's a, a, a variation in how I respond. I never know why. But boy, am I hungry and tired afterwards. <laughs> I can imagine. And uh, now the baby's stable, everything's good. Now, now what happens? You, you're, you're just cleaning up and leaving? Uh, well, first the mom has to birth her placenta, and then uh, after a while, we'll uh, have the father or the partner cut the cord and put the little cord band on, and then we help the mom uh, get cleaned up, and then we help them breastfeed if they need any help. A lot of babies just bounce themselves onto their mom's breasts and do a great job with breastfeeding. And um, we make sure the mom eats and drinks and pees and is cleaned up. And then we clean up the house. And then as everything is stable, 
time is passing, and we will do a full newborn exam. We function in the pediatric role. So we do a full physical evaluation of the baby, and we weigh and we measure the baby. And uh, the weighing is always really fun because what we use a fish scale with a sling. So we're hanging this child above the bed, and you know we ask people to guess. And it's, it's, the, the physical exam is, is really fun. And at a certain point, um, if everything's been great, usually a couple of hours after the birth, everybody's stable, their vital signs have been great, blood pressure's good, everything's good. We wrap them up and they go to bed and we go home. And we come back 24 to 48 hours later. We do, a, we do several postpartum visits. The Working Podcast is brought to you by Citrix GoToMeeting. Think about the time, money, and hassle it takes to hold a meeting. Here's a recommendation. You can meet your clients and coworkers online with Citrix GoToMeeting because it's a smarter way to meet. GoToMeeting makes it easy to meet with your team whenever you need to, wherever you are. With GoToMeeting, you can meet from any computer, tablet, or smartphone without travel expenses or the hassle of traffic. Your team can join by just clicking a link. No signups, no speed bumps. Turn on your webcam, and with HD quality, it's like being in the room. You can share screens to present, review, and get feedback in real time. With GoToMeeting, everyone sees what you're seeing, so the team can get on the same page and get going. You can sign up for GoToMeeting today and try it free for 30 days with nothing to lose. Visit GoToMeeting.com and click the Try It Free button. Do it now and have your first meeting up and running in minutes. That's GoToMeeting.com for your free 30-day trial. I got to say, it was after the birth that we really wanted the professional help. I mean, we, you know, you're, you're suddenly at home and there's this thing and you don't know what to do. But do you have that conversation? Do you give them guidance on, on the next few days? Uh, yeah, we really, we really do. And we, we want every person to have another adult in the house to be available to help them with the newborn. I mean, a lot of people have family come in, so they get some modeling of how to take care of a baby. And we encourage everybody to take childbirth education classes, including a newborn care class, because unless you were a babysitter for a newborn, how, how would you know what to do with this little floppy thing? And we check in by phone and do our, our visits, but people need more support than, than, we, than is traditionally provided here in the U.S. And, and then every once in a while, you then have to go from there to another birth? Yes, that's no fun. <laughs> it's really not fun. Um, not that often, thankfully. Uh, it, it happens. People never know when they're going to go into labor, and you just have to do it. How does this interact with the rest of your life? I, I, I imagine every time you make dinner plans with friends or you think about going on a vacation, you have to have this asterisk unless there's a birth. I'm lucky to work with another midwife because we alternate call. So there are actually some days and evenings and vacation times and other times where I'm not responsible for the women in labor. And like I was just in Albany for two days. So Martine was the person on call for labors. Um, so yeah, there are always, I mean, on the days I'm on call, there's a little, oh, I might have to run. But I try to plan things for days when I'm not on call. And the special things that come up in my life, like my other son's college graduation is coming up, I took the day off. I mean, I'm off, so I don't have to run. There are a lot of solo practitioners in home birth. I don't know how they do it because I wouldn't like being pulled away from important events 
all the time. I mean, it still happens to me a little. I can't have everything off that I would like, but in general, working with a partner has solved that. Have you ever lost a baby? One time, and I have to say that uh, it sent me into, uh, I, I wanted to stop practicing, and I ended up seeing a therapist for, uh, I guess I would call it like a post-traumatic thing, because every birth after that, um, I would have a panic attack, and the sweat would fall in my eyes, and I couldn't see, and I really needed to get some help with that, and the one thing I can say about that is it, it was uh, something that we'll never know the reason why. The family will never know. They investigated, we investigated, and there was really no known cause. But it was also a situation that even uh, rushing her to the hospital, if we had identified that, you know, 15 minutes later, the baby would pass away, wouldn't have saved that baby. So this this baby... Uh, uh, was stillborn, meaning and died in labor, and it was a horrific experience for the family, of of course, and for us as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it sound it's awful, but um, knowing the statistics, I mean, if if, if you're going to attend hundreds of births, it, it's it, statistically you're probably going to going to have that happen. And I have a friend who uh, is in practice, and she hasn't lost a baby, and when people come for consults with her. And they asked that question, have you ever lost any babies? And her answer is, not yet. So it it happens. We don't talk about it too much. Um, it's often unexplained and, and, and terrible. Um, so yeah, uh, talk to any um, midwifery or obstetric provider, and they've had to get through these things in their life. How did you get into being a midwife? Why did, why did you decide to leave the glamorous world of radio reporting for midwifery? For me, uh, that young man that you just saw come in who's visiting us um, was born in Rogers Park in Chicago in 1985 with a family practice doctor and a midwife at home in our apartment. I was already caring, uh, getting care from midwives at Illinois Masonic Hospital, but I learned, I was in my mid-20s, and I learned, wow, people can have a baby at home with professionals attending them. And we made the switch to that choice for a home birth uh, late in care at about 30, 32 weeks in in the pregnancy and went on to have a great experience to the point where when I when we moved to New York and we wanted to have more children, I actually sought out a, a midwife who attended births at home prior to pregnancy because I knew I wanted to repeat that experience. The second birth was very funny because that was such a quick birth that the uh, midwife missed it. And my husband uh, caught the baby. And it, it was an amazing experience for us. And I was thinking, wow, more women should have the option of doing this if they choose to. Because at the time, there were only three midwives attending births at home. So in New York, in New York City. And I got this. Now there are 25, 25 practices. But I got a little spark of wow, this is so interesting and it could be great. And I thought about it for several years. We had another baby and then I just bit it and, and went back for my education. It took me about five years to, to retrain. And it also coincided with uh, being a grant-funded radio producer. And so I really, it was a good time to make a shift. 
and um, I changed. And when I first started working at Bellevue Hospital, which was my first job out of school, I spent the first three months in absolute terror and questioning what was I ever thinking about becoming a midwife because it's a tough job. And I am an economics reporter. I always like to understand the economics, um, sort of the business strategy. And and it's clear to me you did not pick this as a profit-maximizing business strategy kind of way, this career. But how – it it does seem like there's some trade-offs to be made. And, you know, for example, having more clients, but that would mean, you know, not being able to attend as many, um, having – two midwives or five midwives or 10 midwives in a, in a practice, how, how do you, you know, sort of keep the lights on and, and, and keep it a viable business, but also make it so that you can be available in the way you want to be for your patients? My hunch is you're, you're maybe making some choices that leave some money on the table. Well, by not having a busier practice, we're, we're choosing to leave some money on the table. But both Martine and I are very, very involved in some projects outside of our practices, me in advocacy at the state and and federal level on behalf of women, families, and midwives, and Martine with a foundation that she's, uh, well, I'm part of that too, but we and some other people have started called the Foundation for the Advancement of Haitian Midwives. So we are content to earn what we earn and not be busier because we have these other important things in our lives. But midwives, um, people who take care of birthing families aren't really rolling in money because insurance payment for global maternity care, which and that's either provided by the midwife home, midwife birth center, midwife in the hospital, physician in the hospital, the usual reimbursement, especially if you're in network for global maternity care, is an embarrassment. And um, I'm not sure how practices survive on such a low reimbursement and why our insurance system is structured to pay such a low fee for such an important process and care. Um, For instance, uh, Medicaid in New York State, which is 50% of the births in New York State are Medicaid, $1,720 for prenatal care, labor, birth, postpartum. So naturally, in a small private practice, we really have to limit Medicaid clients because of that, because we can't survive on that with a few clients. You have to have a big practice with lots of clients to make that that work. I don't understand the economics of why this is paid so poorly when surgeries are, are can be paid very well by insurance. Seventeen, that is nuts. And I guess that that does explain why the practice we chose, which was identical in this way to all the practices we looked at, had a whole lot of doctors, saw us for seconds, not minutes, not hours, and um, and they were all very nice. We liked them a lot, but still, it was it, it, it was clearly a volume business. It had to be. Right. And we, uh, obviously we can't work for $1,720, uh, in general. And so we have a, we're out of network, which enables us to make charge a fee and our clients are responsible for the fee. And, um, most of the insurances will pay a portion of that, but the fa- it's a cost sharing experience these days for families to choose, uh, to choose us because we're, we're out of network. My wife and I did have a a couple of bad experiences where we we talked to some people who it almost seemed like an ideology that the that 
um, you know, natural home birth is the only valid way that if you take any pain meds at all, if doctors intervene at all, it will destroy the bonding experience with the child. You're just part of, I don't know. And it was so off-putting. It was so frustrating. And um, what is your philosophy and, and, and what do you think about the, the politics of, of birth? I think that each woman should feel free to choose what works best for her. It's funny. I'm not really an advocate of home birth because it's not for everyone. It, it's really peculiar in our society to do it in, in our culture. So I wouldn't say that when I do my advocacy, it's for home birth. I'm, re- I'm really an advocate for women's choice. One thing I can advocate for um, is the midwifery model of care which can occur in all settings. And I, I think there's a, a, a drive to reduce the incidence of cesarean section. Um, and midwives generally have a lower cesarean section rate than, than physician practices. So in terms of philosophy, that is one that I do buy into that, uh, that uh, with observation, monitoring patients, individualized care, looking at the whole person and using intervention as needed you have great outcomes. There are physicians who practice that way. There are physicians who use the midwifery model of care. And there are midwives who are quick to inter- intervene. So it, it isn't even which, which provider you use, but it, it is this idea that um, you can expect uh, labor to start on its own. You hope labor starts on its own because the outcomes are best for that unless there's a medical indication to get the labor started. And there never has been any infant evidence to support uh, continuous IV fluids and no food during labor. So I can't sit around and say everybody should have home birth, or, or, uh, but I do wish more people would uh, know about midwifery hospital birth and that in, in most of the hospitals in New York City, there are midwifery practices that give wonderful, wonderful hospital care. Is there anything about your job that, I haven't asked that people often misunderstand or you'd want them to know. People are so, uh, the, if you look at research on home birth, it's all over the place. And depending on your slant and your bias, you can find studies to support everything. But one thing about my job that I really would like to have changed, and I think we are now in, in a possibility of change, is that there are other countries, for instance, Canada, where the women have a choice all through their pregnancy and around their birth of what setting they would like to deliver in, deliver in home, birth center, and or hospital. And the midwives are completely integrated into the system, meaning it would be the same midwife who would attend her at home if she wanted it, or in a birth center, or in the hospital. And I wish that we would stop arguing about whether home birth is safe or not, because honestly, birth isn't safe until it's over, and have a discussion about what is the safest way that we can all work together to take care of families choosing whatever way they want to be cared for. 
Thank you for listening to Working, Slate's podcast about what people do all day. You can learn more about Karen and listen to all of our podcasts at slate.com slash working. We are part of the Panoply Network. You can hear all of our amazing podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. On next week's show, I'm going to talk to a stand-up comedian about the amazingly difficult life of working in comedy. I would like to thank Alexis Diao, our amazing producer. Joel Meyer is our managing producer. And Andy Bowers is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. I am Adam Davidson. I'm co-founder of NPR's Planet Money, and I write the On Money column for the New York Times magazine. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.